Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of In Medios Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. So basically, we have spoken at length about how much we hate having to deal with like the perils of a capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. Like I don't just mean during the podcast. This is a conversation we have basically every week. Being a cog in a capitalist society is really taking its toll, you guys. <laughs> it really is. But the thing that frustrates us the most is that for a society that revolves around money, the people in charge of it are actually kind of doing a bad job at making money. Mm-hmm. So... Basically, this episode is just what the two of us wish we could do if we had more money. And no conscience. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we've said that before, that if we were worse people, if we had no, like, moral (laughs) qualms whatsoever, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we would really be, like, perfect people to be capitalists. But honestly, actually, I think most of the things that we want to happen aren't necessarily about being immoral. Like, a lot of it is just wanting to let humans be humans. I think our biggest frustration, obviously, there are a lot of problems with a capitalist society, and we're not going to jump into all of those right now. But in terms of media, I think our biggest problems is just that like the innovations happening Mm. um with like the internet and technology and just like all of these fancy high-tech things they actually end up making the markets a lot more niche and a lot smaller than if capitalists or you know producers creators kind of really just thought about making their work more accessible yeah to other people i feel like i would say in terms of media and the things that we the two of us believe in Mm -hmm. at the top of that is really just that access should be for everyone right and i understand that okay i'm not gonna say that like people who are you know working on things are dumb i don't think they're dumb right but i do believe that access for everyone just benefits literally everyone it doesn't just benefit the consumer it benefits creators it benefits producers right because you know with bigger access you open yourself up to more markets and more people become interested and invested in your work and before we kind of continue i do just want to throw out the disclaimer that we, we aren't talking about access in the sense that we think content should be free all of the time we work in the media industry, basically, and it's just like, content is hard, you guys. People deserve to be compensated for things. No, for sure. And I feel like generally we've gotten used to free content so much to the point that we expect content to be free. Mm-hmm. And that's not the kind of access we're talking about here. Like, that's not good for creators at all. But we are saying that there are so many hoops that you have to jump through just to watch things these days, and it really makes it more difficult than it has to be. Yes, and the accessibility discourse is also a very systemic thing too, right? Artists need to live, and sadly, unfortunately, we all need to live within the system of society that we are in now. So people who work on art are often also struggling. And, you know, in an ideal world, access is for everyone but we don't live in an ideal world clearly 
I think my biggest issue with like media access at the moment is like the multiple streaming platforms. Mm. I don't get it. Like, you know how we started with Netflix? Yeah. And Netflix became this huge thing because it basically had everything that you wanted to watch, right? And then Amazon Prime and Hulu and all of these other platforms came in. And then suddenly the picking started getting smaller because you had exclusivity deals and like self-produced shows. Right. And then you get Disney, which is the like the largest media monopoly to exist currently, creating Disney Plus and then pulling out like every affiliated form of media across all of the streaming platforms. Like for all the talk of innovation during the streaming era, a lot of it is actually the exact same thing as cable. No, exactly. You know how video killed the radio star was the thing? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And now just this is going to just push us back to, I don't know, piracy, basically. Okay, Um. here's the thing. Piracy is a very complex issue, I think. And like we said, very systemic and highly dependent on socioeconomic issues. Mm. But I do believe that people wouldn't resort to piracy if accessibility wasn't a problem. Mm. And again, speaking specifically for my experience, like practically all the shows that I want to watch are on Hulu. But how the hell do I get Hulu in the Philippines, you know? Right. I think that's why I kind of end up watching on YouTube or like watching more Asian TV or Asian content because that's what's more accessible to me. I have like view for that that's easier it has everything that i want to watch you know Mm. i think not giving your consumers access even at least like beginner access will really push them to the markets that are your competitors exactly and the thing about it also is that i'm like a firm believer in the idea that like fans of media will willingly pay for the media and it's more it's so hard to get the thing. Mm. There's just so many, like there's so many streaming channels, quote unquote now, that are barely available here. And like sometimes, as is the case with Netflix, there is a Netflix Philippines, but so many of the shows that I want to watch aren't here. Like they're geo-blocked. And I really, really hate <laughs> geo-blocking, by the geo-blocking way. Geo-blocking is the worst. the worst. I hate it. Every time I see that on YouTube, I'm like, the hell? What's wonderful about the internet is that it allows anyone from around the world to connect to an interest, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand why the people who are creating these pieces of media that fans are interested in end up just like geo-blocking it from many, many fans who want to see it and just don't happen to live in that geographical location. Because see, here's the thing. Humans want convenience. Yeah. <laughs> that's just that's human nature. We're not gonna want to do so like an entire process just to watch something. We're watching something because we want to avoid that. Right. And so convenience is really the biggest asset that you can give to your consumers. Right. That was the biggest thing that Netflix gave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The convenience of Netflix is what makes Netflix work. The convenience of YouTube is what makes you you know, it's Spotify. A big part of Spotify, exactly. Yeah, and again, my biggest problem with access is not uh not just from like the consumer standpoint where oh, I want to watch this thing and I can't because it's blocked from me for some reason. I'm thinking also in terms of like 
if I work really hard at something and I'm proud of it, I want other people to see it. Right. It's so weird how corporations are so hell-bent on alienating people who want to see their content. And the, see, my thing is too, is especially lately in, what do you call this, in maybe fandom spaces, mm-hmm. they reiterate the same kind of thinking of right. because there's a paywall. People who can't pay for it shouldn't be able to see it. And I don't really agree with that mindset either. Mm. I think that people have different priorities and people obviously have different socioeconomic backgrounds, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't right. have access to these things. It's very difficult to sort of reconcile the idea of, you know, media being for everyone and also creators getting paid. Mm-hmm. There is a balance that needs to be like struck properly. And it's not an easy balance. But like you already have that as sort of a roadblock to people seeing your content, right? Why make it any harder? As is the case with Netflix, Hulu, like all of the streaming platforms. It's just like, I know that platforms want to brand themselves as exclusive. So they have exclusive shows and they have exclusive yada, whatever. But I think that the exclusivity really turns off a lot of people. Yeah. Which will lead to them just not paying for what they want to see. I have a Netflix account and we pay for it because like we watch a lot of things on Netflix. But the thing is, I would love to have a Hulu account because there's like one show that I want to watch there. There's one show on HBO Max that I want to watch. There's one show on Amazon Prime. But if it's just one show and I'm paying the exact like more than what I'm paying for Netflix, I'm not going to do that because that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you're going to have to choose like which one. I don't know, man. Like, at least when I had cable, I could switch the channel. <laughs> no, exactly. And at the very least, cable had packages where you had multiple channels. That's true. It just frustrates me a lot that we're veering towards an age of extreme media exclusivity, I feel, mm. where distribution becomes very niche. And right. I'm all for media innovation. Like, if you feel like the best way to release your work is through streaming or an exclusive platform or whatever, like, go ahead. Why not, you know? But as someone who wants to just consume media, it becomes extremely frustrating that your options are so much more limited than they have to be. Yeah, and I get why exclusivity is used in the market. Like, I understand the whole idea of it, and I understand why it's such a marketing tactic like people want to feel special and that's why you know there are vip things and all of that and again with art it's commodified and exclusivity makes it more valuable or at least seem more valuable right and art has always hinged on exclusivity it's the whole art versus media highbrow lowbrow debate right what is for the masses basically yeah and that was why people hated like TV in the beginning Mm. or like in the beginning also film was like they considered film not as art because it was for entertainment or for the masses or whatever Mm -hmm. but what was fun about the internet was that it democratized art and democratized media and then suddenly we're just making the internet and we're making streaming you know streaming is like a byproduct of the internet we're just making it exclusive again right yeah The internet as a democratic space is, like, so great. I love it. Like, I love the fact that in terms of 
creation or consumption, whatever, whichever it is, you know, the internet allows you the space and the freedom to do it. And it really just, I think it really just hinges on our biggest like frustration that people think having people pay for like exclusive stuff is going to make you more money than just making it more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about like capitalism, we always just kind of talk about the higher ups a lot and how they're not doing their job or like how they can do better in terms of access or in terms of even like making money. But we don't talk about like the consumers on the lower end of the spectrum. Mm. And we're honestly probably going to make a podcast about it at one point, but like fan spaces and how intensely they hinge on like your ability to spend for things. Yeah. It's very frustrating. But again, it leaves a, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just kind of like, mm-hmm, you're not someone I want to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I guess sort of like taking morals out of the equation for a second. But like what we're trying to say about access here is that more people seeing your content means more people invested in your shows. You know, and the more invested they are, the right. more likely they are to spend money on it anyway. Yeah. And so, you know, narrowing down your target audience very specifically at the beginning so that, you know, people who could potentially be like really big fans never actually get to see it is a bad move. Because you're losing a potential audience. I don't think it's bad to have a target audience, obviously. I don't think mm-hmm. it's bad to have a target market because that's what makes something work. Yeah, you can't target everyone. It's yeah. just going to be a bad strategy. You can't target everyone. But I do think that... Because it's not a problem of like characterizing the type of person. But I'm just saying that there are that type of people in different parts of the world, you know? Like, you can widen it a little bit. Right. And speaking of geographical locations, you know what I hate? Mm. YouTube videos that don't open community subs. Oh. But I think they stopped that completely, right? From what I know, like, there's an option parent to submit. Oh, okay. But I think it needs, I don't know if it needs to get approved or something. Oh, okay. From my experience, I'm speaking in particular to Korean media. Yeah. <laughs> that just doesn't have subs. K-pop, as we all know, is a giant, giant thing in the world right now. I know that Korea is still very much like the main market, but like so many K-pop fans are outside of that and don't speak Korean or at least don't speak Korean well enough to follow like 17 people yelling at the same time, you know? So exclusive YouTube videos that don't have subs and like don't have community sub options are just like, it just gets kind of frustrating because again, I don't like the idea of like limiting your audience based on geography. Right. No, I think with in terms of Korean media, actually, it's pretty much already there most mm. things are already subbed like just a handful i think speaking as a fan who has been here for a while <laughs> just two years ago i was watching shows that were barely subbed on youtube but now everything that i see it's subbed the next day mm, yeah it's subbed when it's released and i think that's part of the reason why it's become such a big thing already. Yeah, that's true. People can get those subs immediately. They don't have to rely on fan subs or like they don't have mm-hmm. to be immersed in the fandom community necessarily to be able to get those translations. Right. And that helps. See, again, it helps with the yeah. 
proliferation of the and the distribution of the content. I'd note, shout out to fan subbers. For sure. Because you guys do the Lord's work. They do. All of the time. Thank you. Yeah. I was a K-pop fan in 2007. You can imagine how bad the subbing was. Yeah. So, you know, something would come out and like we all had to wait like a couple of days because like obviously fan subbers have lives and they can't like just do everything all the time and that they do it all for free is incredible and people really need to appreciate them more exactly it's like for the it's really just for the love of the content you know yeah. again it just boils down to like us being very used to free content and i think actually with stuff like kofi and patreon fan subbers and smaller creators are able to have at least um that channel open for people to support them monetarily and i think more and more people are realizing that they do need to support people in that way as well and i really do think that things will depend on content and context too like i would 100% be more willing to support a smaller artist and like an independent artist compared to something like disney plus or whatever the choice to spend is very subjective it really depends on like a person's interest and taste and also how much they have like and also have yeah and also like how much they're able to part with on like a monthly basis you know yeah. i personally have like a handful of subscriptions but those are like they took me forever to like really decide to spend money on mm. but the reason why i have those subscriptions is because i was able to access a lot of free content and it engaged me enough that i thought Oh hey, I want to actually like spend my money supporting these people and these creators. Yeah. And I mean, in an ideal world that's kind of how it works in media. Like there is basically universal access. And if you have the money to spend to be able to support them in more ways, then sure do that. But like starting with the paywall like right off of the bat and just alienating an entire group of people who maybe can't afford it right now is just it doesn't make for You know, in the long run, it doesn't necessarily make for the best money-making scheme. The pool of people who can become invested in the thing is gonna be become very so small. much smaller. Yeah. yeah, and so that defeats the purpose. You know, and that's the thing about like there are so many media corporations also that just like harp about like inclusivity and access and all of that stuff, and I'm like, no. That's not what you're doing. Yeah, it's just like if you're gonna be exclusive, then at least own up to it. You know, like no, yeah, exactly. Oh my god, yeah, it's basically like don't try to sell me this like weird ass fantasy of you being like all for inclusivity when like people in the Philippines can't even access your website. You know, yeah. I think a really good example actually also of something that I was able to engage in enough. For me to spend money on them later on mm. is Starkid Productions, oh, okay. um, which a lot of people kind of know as like Darren Chris's theater troupe, who basically uploads entire plays like and musicals on YouTube. Right. I remember thinking to myself that I really wished that other theater productions would follow suit. Mm. I know that pro shooting an entire musical is very difficult, so I'm not gonna be like everyone needs to do it right now, but. You know this idea of just like having a show online for free for the entire world to see is great because it builds such a stronger and such a bigger community. Right. And if you engage in that community enough, and if your content is good enough, when you offer something that is paid, 
people are still gonna wanna do it. And so they're gonna be willing to spend it, your, their money on you. Right. I bought so much stuff off of the StarKid website. Like, oh, I really? cannot like what? Like what? Yeah, I had a shirt. I had sunglasses. I also bought the script of like their third Very Potter show. Oh, that's so cool. Basically, they weren't able to really stage it. So they kind of had like a run through at VidCon. That's so nice. And so, yeah, like basically the only reason I ever felt comfortable enough spending my money on StarKid merch and products like as this random teenager in the Philippines is because at that point, I had already enjoyed so much of their free content. I'm trying to think of like how that would work on like a more casual fan standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about casual fans is that like word of mouth does wonders. Oh yeah, for you sure. Know? So the more people are talking about your stuff, the more likely it is to find those audiences that are going to be really devoted. Word of mouth is really has become such a powerful thing. And it's also mm-hmm. something that you can't necessarily predict. <laughs> All the time. But yeah, I definitely think that access plays like a huge part of it. Because like, let's say something drops on Netflix and everyone starts talking about it. It helps because everyone would be like, oh, now I need to get on Netflix and watch it. Like I need to look for... Yeah, exactly. And I saw like two people I know got Netflix subscriptions because everyone was talking so much about Trese on Twitter. That's so cute. But also, that makes me so happy that, like, people were talking about Tressa enough. Yeah, exactly. And again, taking out taking out the morals that we have and just thinking purely in terms of profit, look, you're getting a bigger audience. But also, sorry, going back to Starkid, like, I think what's interesting about that is it completely changed, like, how theater could be consumed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is what I was talking about about how the internet can democratize art because theater for the right. longest time is like so exclusive, incredibly highbrow. Yeah, so highbrow, like you can barely watch it. And the thing about theater in particular is that because it's live, right? It's literally like one performance is exclusive to one audience. Mm-hmm. You know. Which, you know, it's part of the magic of theater, honestly. Like, it's great that, like, every, like, you can watch a show maybe, like, five times and there will be differences every single time. But because of StarKid, for me at least, it became very clear that theater was something that could be enjoyed by everyone. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact that there are so many, like, musical theater majors that Team StarKid, you know, inspired to go and do that. And that's what's part of the fun about having such universally accessible content is that you do not know how impactful it can be to people who probably would not have been able to fit in that audience on that day that you recorded it. Yeah, theater streaming is very interesting to me. Remember that one day that... um Huling El Bimbo. Yeah, Ang Huling Bilbo streamed uh, for one day and everyone literally watched it. God bless. Yeah, and it sparked such long conversations on Twitter. And I loved that. Because like for the longest time also, the theater industry globally has sort of been talking about how they want to be more accessible and how, you know, they feel like audiences are getting smaller and all of that stuff. But that situation with Huling Albimbo just kind of proves that like people want to see the theater, you know, people want to see shows. It's just that 
it costs a lot of money. It's very difficult to like access. And so, you know, by making things more accessible, you're actually just, you're opening yourself up to people who would have wanted to see you anyway. funniest conversation we've had about this one is like what we would do if we were One Direction managers. Oh my god. Because this was my problem with like their 10th anniversary stuff. Yeah. No, same. That like there was barely (laughs) anything. There was so much hype but there was barely anything. The payoff was so bad. Exactly. There was this website that just had like random facts about everyone and like they just rehashed old photos and it was just like what is what is this? And the thing is like I'm not I do not have any sort of connection the One Direction members. I don't know if they like ever want to see each other again. But thinking about like profit and how hungry One Direction fans are for content. Yeah. You literally could have just had them stream something. Like a 15-minute conversation with the four of them would have been fine. Even if they weren't all together, I would have taken it. Right. If they, if the boys didn't want to be like in the same Zoom call or whatever, they didn't want to talk to each other, fine. I could just be like an interviewer and have been like, oh, I can just interview Zayn for 10 minutes. I can interview Liam for 10 minutes. And then that'll be it. Like, (laughs) there are so many workarounds around this. And I just felt like the payoff that we got was just like, what? Like a video? Oh God, it was so bad. But that's the thing. Like, honestly, when you have a fan base as passionate and as hungry for content as like directioners, Oh my God, the opportunity for creating cash out of that is giant. No, and also like not just passionate fans, but like passionate fans years after the fact. It's literally been how many years, but the hype was so, so huge. And add to that fact, the fact that there was so much nostalgia. Right. Like, you know, the Jonas Brothers came back, whatever, whatever. So people were like... And then Big Time Rush just released a video out of nowhere. Exactly. So like, it was the perfect time. It was the perfect storm for something, you know? I don't understand why they didn't take it. Because it's like... Jesus Christ, I swear. The One Direction management. We, we've been knew that that was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was the thing. Like, there was so much criticism about the One Direction management for just, like, being incredibly cash-hungry. Right. And part of me is just thinking, if you were incredibly cash-hungry, you probably just needed to think of more ways to get cash. And, like, this was the perfect opportunity and excuse for you to extort weird amounts of money from people yeah even if you didn't want to record anything new with the amount of stuff that you have from like the five years that they were active yeah you probably could have created like a mini documentary or something and gotten quotes from the people and then just like sold it like a retrospective that wasn't so bland (laughs) that's just like you know what this was a waste of time yeah i know i don't know dude like it was just so bad (laughs) and like speaking of one direction i mean the management also of 1d i mean they've spoke see this is why i'm like i'm fine if they don't want to speak to each other ever again right yeah get it because the time that they had was so tumultuous and very unhealthy at times exactly very unhealthy for them and i understand why they wouldn't i mean you know they'd be thankful for it but they wouldn't want to go back to it because going through that ginormous fame and also having people like make decisions for you Mm. on that kind of level just feels very 
unhealthy. Yeah. In the same way that like if I'm fan of like a group and then someone decides to leave, as in there's no shred of me that is mad about it. Because like understanding how the entertainment industry works and then how bad management can be and like how maltreated artists are sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, if you want to leave, I'm all for it. Goodbye. Again, that's the thing. Like, would they leave if they were treated better is the question. No, yeah, that's uh, that's a whole nother thing. And I think the thing with One Direction also, it's like, obviously, we are not One Direction. We don't have connections to One Direction. We don't know who they are as people. But like, part of me really thinks that the hiatus was not fully planned or like fully set in stone. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if like, you know, people like One Direction or people like, I don't know, let's say TVXQ, if they were given better working conditions, which is basic human decency and shouldn't actually cost much anyway, they probably would have become active for longer mm-hmm. and made you more money mm-hmm. and it's just like this is what we mean when we say that capitalists are bad at making money it's the small decisions that just end up becoming really 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 bad in hindsight yeah in trying so hard to earn money at this very moment you just like shorten the lifespan of the thing that's earning you cash. Okay, since you mentioned TVXQ, I would just like to jump in and talk about EXO for a minute. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Same thing with EXO's China line. And a um, quick disclaimer that we do not support Chris Wu in this household and may he face the consequences of his crimes and abusers will never be praised. Um, but with that, you know, excluding him from the China line discourse. So Luhan, made a huge impact and still has a huge impact in the Chinese entertainment industry. And they coined terms for the amount of popularity that he had at his peak. And I'm genuinely still amazed at the sheer power of his fandom. And sometimes I do think about it, like the amount of money that SM Entertainment could have made from them if only they didn't screw over Luhan and Zitao. Me with Super Junior M. <laughs> exactly. Listen, SM and their China groups are like, just they just don't understand it. They already fucked it up with Han Kyung. And I mean, as much as Super Junior M still exactly. promoted in China after a little while, it's just like they weren't as famous as they could have been if they still had Han Kyung. No, exactly. It's ridiculous. And part of me is just like, if SM had just been more... <laughs> supportive of its form more humane yeah more humane if they had just been more supportive and more humane towards their foreign artists things would be so different you know it's like we're not even asking for much just humanity here currently you know they're not necessarily at the peak of their popularity anymore Mm -hmm. but they're still extremely popular and to have that kind of longevity now and like in their careers that's something that me as a company would like want for my artists right, exactly. so that they can keep giving me things and keep giving me money. Yeah, and like that's that's the thing about that's the thing about it. It's just like obviously from a human standpoint, obviously you need to treat people kindly. But from a corporate standpoint, from a money making standpoint, a little bit of extra cash in just like making sure that your artists have days off and that they're eating properly and that they have time to sleep. That little investment can 
turn in like giant dividends. And you lose out on so much of that because you just couldn't be nice to your artists. Yeah, you're gonna be nice to your artists now and just kept like making them work and work and work and work like machines. And then lose out on the future, um, you know, opportunities that they could have given you. Right. And like, I mean, that's, you know, going back a little bit to One Direction, that's basically what happened with like 1D and Psycho, right? Oh my God, Psycho, I swear to God, if I <laughs> catch you. <laughs> The, listen, the day that Louis left, I just like, I cheered. Because Louis was the last person to leave Psycho entirely, yeah, right? I remember. And so like the day that he left, I was just like, oh my god, finally. Because Psycho sucks. Psycho sucks. You know, not just One Direction. Obviously, I'm so happy for Little Mix also. Oh my god, don't even get me started. I'm just happy that Psycho doesn't exist anymore. I'm so happy. I, the fall of Psycho gave me so much happiness. <laughs> Oh my god, same. I was radiating joy that I'm day. I'm sorry. I know people were working for Psycho, but like, I'm sorry yeah. to like, celebrate your unemployment, but <laughs> I can't help it. But yeah, uh, when we talk about the perils of capitalistic society, I think, you know, what we allude to a lot is just like how the world revolves around money, mm. which is obviously like, you know, a problematic thing. But also... I think that, you know, when we're talking to artist welfare and like even accessibility and all of these things, we're not just looking at like profits. We're also just looking at the welfare of people in general. And that I think is like basically the biggest peril of capitalist society is that like people are commodified Mm -hmm. to the point that they are only ever something that makes money. Right. Art is commodified and people are commodified. And so we're all exploited. And while we're all trying to dismantle unjust systems, it would also be nice if people could keep in mind that we are all struggling against the same systems. And it would also be nice if we could help each other out a little bit and like help each other survive. I just want people to be treated fairly Mm -hmm. we already live in a society that's very very shitty so as we progress i just kind of wish that whatever you know whatever field we're in whatever we do with our lives we aren't treated as cogs right as replaceable completely unimportant and just there to make everything else run smoother Mm -hmm. I'm getting flashbacks to like all of my media theory classes. But really, I think that when it comes to the kind of society that we live in, we really do forget that the people who are taken care of are the ones who actually produce. When we talk about like a capitalist society, the basic sort of definition is that worth is hinged on productivity. But people forget that productivity often depends on welfare. People who are mentally, physically, emotionally stressed out are just not going to give you what you want Mm -hmm. because they need to take care of themselves first. Basically, just like fuck capitalism. (laughs) But but since we're here, just do better. (laughs) It really is difficult to have to reconcile the things that we have to do to survive with the things we want to be able to do. But like we always say in our podcasts, you know, things don't happen overnight. But as long as we keep questioning and critiquing and keep trying, I think, you know, we'll get there. I'd like to think that we're all sort of just like adding a couple of building blocks at a time so that, you know, in the future, hopefully this kind of shit isn't so widespread. Right. 
or that it's eradicated entirely. And yeah, on that hopeful note, I guess we're done for today. I mean, is it hopeful? Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. <It's>, uh... <laughs> we kind of went a lot of places with this episode. Well, it's okay. But I don't mind. It's just, it's the way we are really. On that note, we would love to hear from you guys. I would love to hear from you guys in fan spaces particularly. Do you feel like you're being exploited for money? <laughs> or are you willingly giving up the cash because you like it? Like, that's a genuine question that I have. Like, like let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Because I feel like that is something that I've sort of grappled with in different fan spaces. There are some that are a lot easier than others. Yeah, so let us know. So we're going to be talking about that and a bunch more on Twitter. So you can follow us over at In Medias Mess. And that's pretty much it for the week. We will see you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.